Welcome. This is Corinne Modekaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Inspiration and possibility, and yet here I'm talking about dress rehearsing tragedy. (laughs) Are you good at dress rehearsing tragedy? Thinking about the worst thing that can happen and letting it spin in your brain over and over. I'll give you some perspective. You're not the only one. I'm very good at it. That's why I talk about it here because I've learned how to overcome it. And I also know when I'm my weakest and that's usually at nighttime (laughs) in the darkness of night. That's not a good place for me to be. But when I dress rehearse tragedy now, because I'm aware of it, I'm able to catch it and not let it take me down, not let it, you know, get so either anxiety ridden or go into arming myself up to protect myself because that's really exhausting. And I get it. Oftentimes my clients dress rehearse tragedy and they'll say, but Corinne, I don't want to be disappointed or I don't want to be unprepared. And that's where I have that concept, commit to the best case scenario and manage risk. Like we focus on that. We need to know what the risk is but we don't need to look at the worst thing that can happen, right? We don't, we don't want to focus on that and get our nervous system all amplified and jacked up and ready to go. Let's think about this. <laughs> we are exhausted. And I know I talk about this over and over and over again, but I have to remind myself, these are challenging times, right? Life has been relentless the past couple of years. And our nervous systems are fried. I went into FedEx this afternoon and I was on a total mission. And it's it's so fascinating to watch my brain. Like I'm on a mission because I'm trying to solve a problem. I go in and I don't even see a friend of mine. And she says something to me and I haven't seen her since before COVID, right? Like, and we're and she asked me, how am I doing? And and one of the things I have done over the years, it's not something new, but for a really long time, I've always wanted to be authentic and honest about what's going on. Not, not, you know, swampland stuff, but just really real instead of the, oh, I'm fine. I'm great when I'm not really. And I just said, life is a lot right now. It's a lot. And she's like, yes, it really is. And that's the truth of it. So then I was leaving FedEx and this woman in the parking lot stopped me and she said, thank you so much for saying what you did. And I guess she overheard our conversation and she just said, there's a collective energy out there and we're tired. I said, it is so true. We are tired. There's been a lot going, we've been going through. So think about this. Two years later, we've been going through a global pandemic. We've had divisive politics throughout the world. We're seeing the great resignation, the dam. And I think about the dam, like in a dam that holds water, but the dam on mental health is crumbling. We're really seeing that we have work to do with our mental health and our emotional intelligence. We've had all sorts of COVID variants 
two years ago we were protecting ourselves against and what is coming out now, right? We've just, they've been coming and it's been relentless. We've had human rights violations, inflation that I don't know if I've seen, well, I know I haven't seen in adulthood, maybe when I was a kid, but inflation, gas increases, and now the Ukraine and possibly World War III. Who knows where we'll be when this gets into your device that you listen to? I have no idea. You know, maybe we'll be in a better place, but I don't know where we'll be when you get this. But we've been through a lot. It's exhausting. And it's so important to acknowledge, not to, you know, pitch a tent, build a campfire and sit there and story fondle, but to recognize what we've been through. So of course, we're tired and exhausted. And for some of us, we're way more privileged than others, right? Right now, my family is safe. We have plenty of food. And that's not the case for many people in the world today. It doesn't mean that we aren't going through hard times. So our nervous system is fried. It is absolutely fried. And if you remember, I talked about this on this podcast, but back in July or August of 2020, there was an article written about the surge and how we're surge depleted. So the surge is our nervous system that steps up in case of an emergency and it starts to run. And the problem was back in July and August of 2020, it had been five months of doing that and our bodies weren't prepared for that. And here we are two years later and we're still going. Life is relentless. Now I get it. Some days we get to check out, we can hide away. We've gotten really good as a society of numbing, whether it's from you know TV shows and binging, sales of alcohol have gone up. And there's been a lot of things that we've been trying to do to cope, but we're still fried. Our nervous system is fried and it's important to recognize that. And this is why it's so important that we don't dress rehearse tragedy. Whatever you're facing, whether it's something, maybe it's a plane ride, maybe it's a presentation, maybe it's re-entry back into work and being around people, right? We have limited capacity and we need to take care of ourselves because preparing for tragedy is actually depleting us further especially this tragedy in our brain. How often have you prepared for tragedy and then realized, oh, it wasn't so bad, but you got yourself into such a tizzy. It was so exhausting before you even got into there. This is what I'm talking about. Let's stop dress rehearsing tragedy because our nervous system is fried and we're going through a lot. And many of us, we look okay on the outside and inside we're exhausted and crumbling. Every day I talk to somebody who the struggle is real, whether again, it's at FedEx, in the parking lot, my clients, community, friends, family, there's not a person out there that's not having a hard time at some point. And they're also having some really beautiful moments and some good times as well. And one of the things that's so important is that we want to feel all the feelings and understand that when we dress rehearse tragedy and we're always worried about the worst thing that can happen, that just hijacks our nervous system and we don't have capacity. We may have pre-COVID, we don't anymore. So 
what we do instead of dress rehearsing tragedy is we go into this all or nothing. I'm either going to dress rehearse tragedy or I'm going to be Pollyanna-ish or I'm going to have, you know, magical thinking, you know, and I'm going to have big, hairy, audacious goals or go big or go home, right? This all or nothing. And that's also really dangerous for us as well. So I'm going to talk about instead of this all or nothing, this zero sum game, it's either dress rehearse tragedy or magical thinking. We're going to, you know, everything's going to be wonderful and dandy. It's in the space in between because when we go into magical thinking, Brene calls that stealth expectations. And it's a desire or expectation that it exists outside our awareness and typically includes a dangerous combination of fear and magical thinking. And stealth expectations almost always lead to disappointment, resentment, and here's the kicker, you all, more fear. One of the reasons we go into magical thinking is we're trying to outrun that fear, right? We're trying to outrun the worst thing that can happen, but it's leading us right back to the thing we're trying to outrun. So it's not about not having expectations. It's paying attention to the expectation, right? And I always often talk about managing risk. That's really important. So I want to step away from this dress rehearse tragedy, stealth expectations, right? Magical thinking where it's this all or nothing. It's either bad or it's great. And really it's about going into the arena with their eyes wide open. And maybe the arena is you're going to a family gathering. Maybe the arena is you're going to travel. Maybe your arena is you have three days of meetings from nine to four and then cocktails in the evening, right? So go in with your eyes wide open. That is the goal. That way you can see the invisible systems that are there. And often these invisible systems are things that we can't see. And when we're dress rehearsing tragedy and we're in that fear brain, we run through them. I used to often say on the show back in the day, because I was, you know, work really hard, work really, really hard, resilient. You know, we had the same motokitis as our rough, tough, hard to bluff and used to hardship. We really endured this. And I remember hearing Oprah say, you know, pay attention the universe sent whispers and pay attention. And I had this bravado of like, Oh, I don't hear the whispers. And then when the brick drops on my head, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine. That wasn't a problem. And I go through the brick wall and I'm come out the other side. And I'm like, see, I'm still fine. I'm kind of doozy, but I'm fine. I'm capable. Right. I go through brick walls because I wasn't going in with my eyes wide open. I was in the survival mode. And my invitation for you is to go in with your eyes wide open because when you do that, you're actually able to activate so much more of your brain than the amygdala fight, fight, or freeze, right? When we go in with our eyes wide open, we're activating our compassionate observer and we're able to be a witness to what is going on. We're able to see so much more. It's not that we want to never use, you know, tragedy or only use one system. We want to use these different systems as a collective, right? So our brain's job is to keep us alive. That's why fear is a beautiful thing. It's here to keep us alive. 
we just can't keep activating it the way that we have been. And that's been going on because it's relentless and it's exhausting. And then it's leading people to numbing or to magical thinking, which then can create a lot of self-sabotage. The other reason it's really important to go in with your eyes wide open, it's so that you're able to see those invisible systems. And when I'm talking about these invisible systems, these are systems that are built to protect those in power. So here's the thing. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I'm a product of public education, K through 12. I was a product of the California Master Plan of Higher Education. And I went to the University of California, Davis, and had a great public education. So in essence, I'm a product of the government, of the government training, right? Now, a bit of background about me. I'm a first generation. My mom's from Korea, an immigrant. And the white side of my family was blue collar. They were longshoremen. So from both sides of my family, I was the first college student to graduate from university on both sides. And I still to this day remember in 1990, October of 1990, I was on the quad at UC Davis and I was in awe and joy and actually some magical thinking because I had this belief that this university was built so that people like me could get an education. I really believe that. And there's some magical thinking to that. (laughs) Because as I now know, working in education, being a part of the, you know, university community for all these decades is there are absolutely fantastic people in education. They're absolutely fantastic. And there are others who are there and may have very different reasons for being there than choosing to serve. So one of the things with my eyes wide open now I realize is just because someone has a title of student services, it's actually really important to take notice in the small moments of what they do, not just what they say. I've often found what they say aligns with the magical thinking I have right? The programming that I was taught to believe, but what they do is very, very different. And when I'm in that magical thinking, I don't see that. I miss those opportunities. And I want to be really clear. It's not about going in with judgment or skepticism. So before, when I was in this place of magical thinking or surviving, right, that dress rehearsing tragedy, preparing for the worst case scenario, never, never having expectations because not wanting to be disappointed. I also walked in with judgment or skepticism. That was armor. It was to protect myself. It's like, I'm not going to be fooled because I don't want to have, you know, lose face and have shame. Or I was going to judge to protect me because my brain's job was to keep me alive. But the problem was the magical thinking. And the thing is, is that when you go in with armor, that's really exhausting as well. So instead of going in with magical thinking, with armor, with dress rehearsing tragedy, right? There's a lot of energy there. It's about going in with your eyes wide open so you can pay attention and be a compassionate observer. And what this does is it opens up your brain versus making it small 
and in fight or flight or freeze, right? That's the amygdala. One of my favorite people that I love to follow, his Instagram is Adam Grant, who's a professor at Wharton. And he wrote something this over the weekend that I really liked. And it said, you can't judge people only by how they treat you. The true test of character is how they treat those they don't like or need. Even if someone is kind to you, proceed with caution if they're consistently unkind to others. Selective civility is a sign of deep-seated hostility. And we'll put that screenshot of his Instagram in the show notes. That way you can have access to that instead of trying to hit rewind and write it down and transcribe it many times. I know that's what I do too. So that's just another example of pay attention, keep your eyes wide open, pay attention to how do people treat other people? Watch, not judge, not be skeptical. Don't go looking for it. But if you keep your eyes wide open, you'll be able to gather insight and data. And then the other thing that's really, really important, and I've learned this, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I've learned this in the last, more in the last couple of years, the disconnect, right? The charmer who's smiling and shaking his head at you and saying the right words, except you're not feeling very good inside of you. You can feel it and you're ignoring. People will call it your intuition, right? Your own knowing. You're ignoring that. Listen to that. We don't have to make a verdict yet. Take in the data, right? This is why it's so important to go into things with your eyes wide open. So I talked about education. When you're going into a room, into a system, into our cultural programming of these are supposed to be the good guys, right? These are supposed to be the good people. The system was built to support you. Walk in with your eyes wide open and see what is true and what may not be true about that. We don't need to walk in being skeptical or fearful or protecting ourselves when it may not be dangerous to begin with. And that's just going to exhaust us. Another scenario that I wanted to give to you was back in college, one of the things that I thought, there were two things I naively thought. One was the university was built for me to learn and support me. And two, 1990 freshman year, I believed that there was equality in the genders right? We've gone through the seventies movement. I truly believe that I had a lot of empowerment. I was a feminist. I had been a swimmer my whole life. I had trained with boys, beaten the boys often. Why wouldn't we be equal? (laughs) Well, when you don't go in with your eyes wide open, (laughs) you get bitch slapped essentially. I will never forget my, I think it was my sophomore year. And I was talking to one of the men swimmers on the team And I was upset because the men wanted to have, it was the first time in my life, well, I guess my second year, freshman or sophomore year, but going to college was the first time in my life that I only trained with women. I'd always trained with men or with boys and girls co-ed. And in college, we were segregated. We had different coaches and different training times. There's pluses and minuses about both. And even now, there's some teams that train co-ed. There's some teams that trained one sex. And unfortunately, there's a lot of college teams that only have women swimming. But I remember talking to him after practice one day, and I was frustrated because they wanted to have non-inclusive sweatshirts that we were all buying. And theirs was going to say, University of California, Davis, men swimming. And I said to them, I go, we're all the same swim team. Why can't we just take the gender off? And they really wanted to differentiate from us. 
because they said, we have different goals than you. Basically what they were meaning behind that was we're more in it than you are. I was so mad about that because I had big goals. I had aspirations. I hadn't achieved them yet, but you know, I went to nationals and I was going to, I wanted to go back and I wanted to final and I even had bigger goals, but I was too afraid to share them with anyone. But I was so disappointed. It was like, what do you mean? We're equal. I didn't go in with my eyes wide open. I believe there was gender equality. And here's the unfortunate thing. It's 2022 and we still don't have gender equality and it's become more and more apparent. So as I have young daughters who are in their twenties, one of the things that we talk about is this so that they're prepared as they walk into the arenas that they're in. Back in 2019, Melinda Gates actually helped spread the data from the World Economic Forum and the WEF estimated that it would take in the United States, in the United States, so this isn't even around the world, but in the United States, another 208 years to reach gender equality. When I heard that, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I thought it was going to say, I don't know what I thought, but not very long, right? Maybe 10, 20 years, 208 years. This was 2019, 2019. My mind was blown. I couldn't believe it. I hit rewind and I kept going back to it and I kept, and I couldn't even hold on to that number. I knew it was 200 and something, but I was like, what? It took a while to sink in because I was living in a falsehood, believing that we were kind of on the way to equality sooner. And I've had a whole bunch of experience with, you know, inequality, sexism. So now that we know this, now is when we can do our work. Now we can show up. And when the days are hard, which they're going to be hard, instead of thinking there's something wrong with us, right? I remember back in 2006 when I was dealing with sexism at work and being told, how could I do my job? Because I didn't have a stay-at-home wife like my husband did. And I was defending against it, trying to get them to see that I could do my job. Forget the fact that I was running successful programs, (laughs) but I kept trying to get them to see. And And what my eyes weren't wide open, I was in that survival mode, right? My nervous system was hijacked. I was constantly, and this is where I was hustling for my worthiness and overachieving and dragging myself through the, through so much difficulty to try to prove myself. And the more and more I tried to prove myself and the more and more achievements I had, the more and more I was told I couldn't do my job because I was a mom with four kids. Isn't that interesting? So Now, when you go have your eyes wide open, instead of taking it personally, which I did back then in 2006, I thought, oh, there must be something wrong with me, right? And that was part of the overworking, the overachieving, the the approval whoring that I was doing because I thought, this is me, instead of realizing this is a system that's designed to keep me out, right? And there's a system of inequality and there's a power system involved. So now, When you have hard days, when my clients have hard days, when my community has hard days, my friends, my family, the aqua monsters, one of the things is we can look at this system, this invisible system, and what's our part in it and what's not our part in it. 
even back then, you know, there was gender bias against me and I had my parts that I played into it, right? That into those relationships. So it's, it's not take your own personal responsibility and be a victim. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that when you can see with your eyes wide open, instead of feeling defeated and wanting to quit or off ramp, which is what we're seeing a lot of these days, it's much easier to be resilient. And for us to look at, okay, what's my part? What can I learn and improve on? Where can I get support? Where can I take care of myself so that I can rise again? So knowing that it's not personal and that there's a system of power that's invisible to our eyes, but it's there. Now you can see it and you can maneuver through it. So the visual that I have about seeing these systems and having your eyes wide open brings me back to entrapment with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Sean Connery. And they were going to do a heist and she was training in Scotland in I think like this castle or something. And he was teaching her how to maneuver through these red lines. So not to set up the alarm so that she can do the heist. That's what happens when you go through with your eyes wide open. You get to see what is invisible, but you get to see it. And here's the thing. This isn't transactional where, oh, you go through it once and then you see it and you don't make any mistakes. Alarm doesn't get pulled, right? That's what I'm talking about. You may fail a whole bunch of times, just like she did in the movie. And then finally one day be able to land it. And what that looks like is maybe you're in this job and I had a client that had this. She was in a job and she was doing really important work. There were a lot of promises to her in terms of leadership, right? Things really blew up. She wound up off-ramping from that, almost changed careers, and now has eventually come back to her career and is this kick-ass leader in this industry. And it's part of her body of work. So sometimes when it looks like we failed or fallen down, we need to lengthen it out and keep going. And you may actually create what you are pursuing where you failed, where you thought it was the end and be able to come back. I go through this time and time again with my clients. So this is why it's so important to go into situations with your eyes wide open. Once you can see the invisible systems and you can see who people really are, You're not creating a story for the people of, oh, they're a really nice person because the words are being said, but it's not matching with what you're feeling in the gut and with what they're doing versus not seeing them, not seeing the systems and going through them and getting the brick wall slammed down onto us, which I used to be really, really good and be exhausted, then beat myself up. What's wrong with me? All right. So eyes wide open is a place where you can be aware of what's going on and figure out how to move through it. It takes practice, just like Catherine Zeta-Jones practice in that movie, practice, practice, practice. It takes a growth mindset, the willingness to do your best effort and fall short and fail, right? Because you may set off the alarms, you may get fired, you may have failures, right? But the important thing is, is that you're compassionate with yourself so that you have that resiliency to get back up. You're compassionate so you can keep going and you have empathy so you can look at what's your part, what's not your part and have perspective. Eyes wide open is about being compassionate and having empathy. We want to be a compassionate observer 
versus being a judge. Eyes wide open is not turning on our nervous system because we're already surge depleted. Eyes wide open so you can live the life you want while seeing the power structures you're surrounded in. It's time for us to let go of dress rehearsing tragedy and instead go in with our eyes wide open. We manage the risk. We always do, right? We just don't need to dress rehearse tragedy. All right. Smiling big for you. Hey there. Before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting, never been so wide.